Well, I'm going to do something different. In fact, uh, in 51 years preaching, uh, th- this, this is different than I've ever done before. And that is that I'm not going to preach a message concerning the birth of Christ until the very last service before Christmas. That'll be on Christmas Eve that morning and that night. And uh, always before I've had, uh, you know, maybe four or five uh, weeks even leading up to Christmas. And uh, this year I'm going to, going to do something different. Uh, the other day I uh, started a series entitled The Puzzle of Pain. And uh, I feel very strong about finishing that. It's just a short series, I think six messages. We could make it longer than that, but uh, but there's only six messages that I, I desperately want to get through because I don't want you to lose your train of thought in that regards. And if I stop now, uh, by the time we pick it up, why it's uh, hard to get back on track where we left off. And so... I said the other day in regards to a message I'd preached about getting back to the basics that in dealing with people, we have to deal with people where they are. And that's, that's true of everyone. You, you know, if you're talking to somebody that is an atheist, you have to, you have to start by dealing with the issue that there is all kinds of evidence for the, for the reality of God. You have to start where the person is. In, in thinking about that, I don't know of one single person here this morning that would say, I do not believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if, if I'm wrong, if there's someone here and that's something that you just don't believe, I, I really wish you'd come to talk to me or Brother Preston or any of our teachers or deacons because let me tell you, there's nothing in history better attested to than than that fact. It is a fact. So I'm convinced that everybody believes that. Now, I could I could preach, and that there's a time and a place to do that, and that's why I've been doing it for 51 years. But you know, I'm also convinced that if I'm going to speak to you about where you're at, while everybody here believes in the virgin birth of Christ. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people that have questions running through their mind, people that are puzzled by their pain. They just don't understand what's going on in their life. And uh, so I'm going to look at two more pieces of the puzzle today, one piece this morning and another piece tonight. When we go through trials, it always raises several questions. It might be that somebody uh, somebody uh, is thinking to themselves, and I've had people express it to me on more than one occasion, why do I have to work with certain people? I, why can't I get another job? I, 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 just, I think I'll just resign my job and get another job because I don't like working there because of the people. That might be a good reason why you're where you are. It might be that somebody else, they're puzzled by the fact that uh, they just got laid off. And they will know, why did I get laid off? Why was I on the list, you see? For somebody else, it might be, why am I in the hospital? I mean, after all, that's not something any of us would choose, would we? You know, think, well, I, I, I think I'd like to spend a week in the hospital. I 
You know, I, I've just never enjoyed spending time in the hospital. I don't even like their food there, let alone be there. And I don't like the needles and all of that stuff. But there are people who wonder why, why have I had to spend so much time in the hospital? And, and let me tell you, there are people, no doubt, that are wondering, how did I end up in a nursing home? How did I end up? in a nursing home. Now, the list of questions go on and on and on. The point is, if you live long enough, believe me, there's something that's going to happen that will cause you to scratch your head and ask why. Why this? Why me? Why now? And if we really believe that there are no accidents, if we really believe that God is in control of everything, and that God uses everything, even the bad things, for good to those who love the Lord, if we really believe that, then we've got to be convinced in our heart that there is some reason why these things happened. It's not just the luck of the draw. It's not just chance. If God rules in the affairs of man like our forefathers taught, and they were right, then everything that happens in our life is for some reason. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 37. And the piece of the puzzle that we're going to look at today is pain and opportunity. Pain and opportunity. I feel sorry for people that don't realize any purpose in life. You know, that's really a horrible, miserable feeling. To just exist? To get up in the morning, look in the mirror and wonder why in the world am I on this planet? What is my life supposed to to accomplish? Why am I here? But let me tell you, God has a purpose for every person. God wants to use every person in some way. And, uh, you, you know, think about God of the whole universe. The God that created the sun and the moon and the stars and the God who is presently controlling all of those things has an interest in you. Wow. I I don't know about how that affects you, but that, that excites me to think that God would have any concern for me whatsoever. But God has a purpose for each and every one of us, and that makes your life significant regardless of who you are there is significance to your life because of the fact that God has a purpose for you there are a lot of people not doing anything church members that are not doing nothing but there's no church members without something to do every person here can be a success in life success is discovering the will of God and doing it And if we fail at that, we have nobody else to blame whatsoever. God has a purpose for your life. Now, here's what I want you to see. In order to fulfill that purpose, God often, maybe I should say, God always arranges circumstances so as to give us opportunities. And uh, He uses different means, of course. There are things that happen to us that we'll never understand until we get to heaven. 
But just because you don't know the reason doesn't mean there isn't a reason, a good reason. And I want you to think about pain and opportunity. Pain can involve us being where God wants us to be, being where we're needed. And here in Genesis chapter number 37, we see part of the story of Joseph, of course, and I want you to notice as we begin reading about verse number 23, and most of you are familiar with this story, and it, uh, you know, it ought to be easy enough for us to follow along without reading every single verse in this chapter. You'll remember, of course, that he was the favorite of his daddy, and he had had a dream that was indicating that that he was going to be in authority even over his brothers, and so they are offended. Verse 23, And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. You talk about a bunch of jerks. I mean, this is it. They sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? That's a question. What are we going to get out of that? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were content. And then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. What a horrible story that is. I mean, looking at it from our standpoint, that is, looking at it horizontally and not considering the vertical perspective. Philip Yancey wrote, he said, If anyone had a valid reason to be disappointed in God, it was Joseph. Think about that. He is so unfairly treated in this case. It would be easy for someone in that situation to become bitter and not just blame his brothers, but even to blame God for allowing that to happen. Now here he is as a teenager and his world is falling apart. He's hated by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's taken down into Egypt. So to Potiphar, who was the, was the captain of the king's guard, and things seemed to be getting better except for the fact that Potiphar's wife took a liking to him and enticed him, and he refused her, so she accuses him of rape. He's falsely accused, but he is found to be guilty and imprisoned. While he's in prison, he did favors for the other inmates there. No one could point a finger at him and say he's venting his frustrations on me. 
He was someone that everybody ought to be able to get along with, somebody that loved other people, was considerate of other people, and yet they forgot him, so there he is. Finally, God intervened, and Joseph finally is exalted the second in command in Egypt. And you know the story, no doubt, that a great drought came upon the land, and God has revealed to Joseph what to do. And now here is Joseph in a place of authority. He is second only to the king himself. He has the keys to the storehouse. Knowing that this famine was coming upon the land, he has laid up the, the grain and made provisions for that time. And now here he is with the keys to the storehouse jangling at his side. And finally, his brothers, not knowing what happened to him, and his daddy, of course, thinking he's dead, his brothers, on a mission from their daddy, send them down into Egypt. Because they've heard that the, the Egyptians have, have bread down there. We can get grain. We can survive. And when they get there, the man they're dealing with is who? Well, it's Joseph. But they don't know that at that point. He knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. Now, I just can't help but wonder how you and I might have responded to their presence. We might have said something like, you know, are you kidding me? Don't you know who I am? I am your brother. You cared nothing about me. You sold me into slavery. I've been imprisoned. I've suffered all of these things all because of you. But he, he, he doesn't do that. Look, he could have said, I'm going to accuse you of being spies in the land and have you executed. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Hey, how about that? And he has the authority to do that, but he doesn't do that. Now look in chapter 45, and I want you to listen very carefully to what he says. Chapter number 45, and uh, let's look at verse number 7. He says, And God sent me before you. He's talking to his brothers now. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Wow. Now look in chapter 50. To me, one of the most amazing testimonies that I know of in the Bible of anyone, verse 17 so shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sins, for they did enter into the evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of thy servants, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also, now remember, remember that he has revealed himself to them. And they're begging for forgiveness. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, 
For am I in the place of God? But as for ye, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You know, it would have been easy for Joseph to look at his situation and to think that God really doesn't care very much about me or He wouldn't allow me to suffer unjustly like this. He wouldn't have let this happen. But whenever we look at the big picture and we see that God allowed that to happen to him because God's concern was for all of the people, not just one person. And so God is putting Joseph in in a place to where he could be useful. He's using his pain as an opportunity to minister to the needs of that entire nation and those who came begging for bread. Now lest you think, well, maybe we have just stretched the truth and we've only got this one example, let me remind you, that's not the only example. We think about the story of Daniel. And here's Daniel and the three Hebrew children, that is all of these, and these other young people. I, I, I mean, whenever they were taken into captivity, they, they took those that were the most choice among the young men and they took them into captivity. You think about one of these teenagers being taken away from his family, from his friends into another country. For all practical purposes, he's nothing more than a slave now. He has no will of his own. He'll do whatever they tell him to do. They'll, they'll dictate his manner of life. And that's the condition that we find Daniel in. Daniel and his friends, of course. And what you would think somebody like that would grow bitter as a result of it, but not Daniel. Whether it was in the lion's den or suffering some other way, whatever it was, we wonder why in the world would God allow someone, a young kid, to be deprived of all of his dreams, taken away captivity into some other land? It's because God was about to use him to do something great in Babylon. And by the way, when you read the story and you think about Nebuchadnezzar himself, the king, he himself was converted over to a believer in Jehovah. He even began to recognize that, you know, that I, I may be the king, but I'm not running this show, that God, the God of, of Daniel is the one that's in charge of this whole situation. So the pain of Daniel was for the purpose of providing an opportunity to minister to the king and the nation. We come to the New Testament. If you'll turn over to the book of Acts, for example, in chapter number 8 of the book of Acts, we see another application of this, how God uses pain for opportunities. Acts chapter number 8, every Christian ought to be somewhat familiar with the book of Acts because it gives us the pattern for the New Testament church. And it says, And Saul was consenting, in verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time 
there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. They that were scattered abroad. We're talking about New Testament Christians that are hated and despised, the men and women put in prison. And yet those who escaped the persecution fled into other parts of the country. And what were they doing? Preaching the Word. Amen. And multitudes were... We're saved. You know, we talk so many times about our missions program, getting the missionaries to the foreign field, and we sometimes wonder why it is that we fail as New Testament churches here in our country. It just might be because we have it too easy. We have it too good. God used persecution to spread the gospel. That was the opportunity for others to hear. He drove them, you might say, out of Jerusalem. Well, they would have still been sitting there trying to become the biggest church in all of the world so they could have bragging rights about it had it not been for that. I mean, after all, you say, well, what makes you think that they would have done that? Well, that's what a lot of churches are doing nowadays. They're not interested in getting the gospel to the four corners of the earth. All they're interested in is building up their empire. That's all they're concerned about. The pastor's not about to preach the truth as found in the Word of God because he would rather give the people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Let me tell you, God has a way of just knocking the props out from under us in order to give us an opportunity to fulfill our purpose in life. Now, lest you think that God just lets that happen, you know, to people that are maybe not really at the, at, at the top of the spiritual list, let me remind you of the Apostle Paul. And over in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 12, remember Paul at that point as he's writing that letter, Paul is in prison in Rome. If anybody was a spiritual giant for God, it was Paul. Paul has established churches. I mean, even though he has been beaten and in prison and has gone through all of this suffering, he stayed busy at the work and established churches all over that part of the world. And now... You, God is allowing him to be in prison? Something about that just doesn't seem right. You know, we have it in our mind that we deserve better than that because after all, we love God. After all, we serve God. We're faithful to God. Surely, if God's going to exempt anybody, we ought to be exempt from suffering. But, well, 
It didn't exempt Paul. And he said there in the very first chapter of that little letter, he said, and the things that happened unto me have happened for the what? The furtherance of the gospel. Do, do you see God's great concern for getting the gospel message out to those that are lost? That he had let his own dear children suffer in prison. That he would allow them to be subjected to hatred even by members of their own family like Joseph. All because God's interest is an, is an interest in the world and getting the gospel message to the world. And we think about the tremendous ministry. Now don't miss this. We've been talking about all of the great things that Paul has done and now he's in prison. But what we forget is a part of the greatest things that he did was accomplished while he was in prison. You realize he wrote most of his letters while he was in prison? And we're still reading them today. And not only that, he reminds them that because he is there, the gospel is being preached in the palace. People that would have never heard the gospel are hearing the gospel because the Apostle Paul is there. That imprisonment, that pain gave him the opportunity that he needed to bear witness to those others. That's why I say when we think about the way that God uses pain, He does so in order to bring us to where we're needed, but also it applies to us in our bearing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's one thing to be where... God wants you to be, and it's another thing to be able to reach people. Um, the missionaries, you know, so many times they come by and we, uh, we allow them the great privilege of being able to speak to us, as long as it's not on a Sunday morning, you know, we crowd them in on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or whatever, and treat them sometimes like second-class citizens, and we decide that we'll take up an offering and we pat them on the back and send them on their way and, and, uh, they go down the road never to be even mentioned again in many cases. Now keep in mind, these are people that have voluntarily, of their own volition, they have left their family, their friends, their country, they've gone to another country, subjected themselves to great suffering. Why? in order to preach the gospel. And that, that's a decision they made. The Lord doesn't send them there on vacation or a sightseeing tour of some kind. They're to go in order to declare the gospel. Now, stay with me. We've talked about God using pain as an opportunity to bring us to that place where we need to be. That's one thing. Geographically, now we're where we need to be. But God also uses that pain to enable us, encourage us to bear witness for Christ. Because being where God wants you to be doesn't, doesn't really do any good if you're not bearing witness for Christ. We'll talk more about that tonight, but listen carefully. When I talk about bearing witness for Christ, it's not just about what we, what we say, it's about what we do. 
just being in the presence of people like Joseph or Daniel, just being in the presence of the Apostle Paul, watching them, just their example was enough to make to make you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they've got something that I don't have. They've got something that I need. That's why I say that every time that we go through any kind of hardship in our life, it is, it is an opportunity for you and I to show others what God is able to do. God so loved the world that He, look, He gave His only begotten Son. But God also loves the world to the extent that He sends all of His children on a mission that is difficult and dangerous. Sends us on a mission that will deprive us of our, of our own free will to get out here and to gratify our flesh. Because that's what most of us would choose if God just said, Hey, I got up this morning feeling good and I flipped a coin and to make the decision and I've decided from here on out you, you, I just want you to spend the rest of your life fulfilling your bucket list, having fun, doing what you enjoy. Most people would be perfectly happy with that. I just wonder, I wonder how many of us might ask, yes, but Lord, what about those that, that have never heard the gospel? You see, God loves the world too much to allow us to do what we want to do. He has a mission for each one of us. And He uses pain in order to give us an opportunity that we can show others. Not just tell them, but show them the difference that He makes. Now this being Sunday morning, I have one more thing that I want to say in this regards of how God uses pain to give us opportunities. We've been talking about how God uses pain to give His people, Christians, opportunities to serve Him, to fulfill their purpose in life. But God also uses pain in order to bring others to faith in God. Over in Luke chapter number, chapter 17, I believe it is, where the the lepers are standing there observing and watching Christ and Verse number 12 tells the stories. They're standing there and they're watching him and it says they stood afar off. But finally they begin to cry out for the Lord to have mercy on them. You know, a lot of times pain is a factor that, remember, pain can come in a lot of different forms. It's not just, it's not just a toothache or a migraine. It can be anything that that brings pain to your heart or to your body, any kind of pain, any sort of what we might call a disaster in our life. And the whole fact of the matter is there are those that never take any interest in the things of God until they're suffering in some way. That's why it's so important for you Christians to keep witnessing to people even whenever it seems futile, even when it seems that they're never going to listen. They don't care And you just feel like giving up. 
you you know you feel like saying to yourself look i've tried now for several years to break through that hard heart i've tried to show them how important it is for them to be saved and i'm not getting anywhere i'm going to stop wasting my time well i'm glad god didn't stop wasting his time when it involved me And I'm not at liberty to tell the story or anything, but it was at the point of my greatest failure, my greatest pain in all of my life. It was not until then. I don't believe there is anything anybody could have possibly done to make me interested in Christianity. Nothing. I wasn't concerned about it at all. But boy, I want to tell you what, whenever, listen, whenever God lets you hit rock bottom and you're hurting bad enough, you, believe me, you'll start looking for something that'll bring comfort. I didn't know what I was looking for. People talk about seeking God. I, I wasn't seeking God. I was seeking anything that would give me some relief. Somebody invited me to go to church and I thought, well, it can't, it can't hurt anything. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I'd never, I'd never really listened to any preachers. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't know anything about that. And yet it was at that time in my life I was willing to listen. You better believe these lepers, all the years of their life, I don't know their age, but all of the years of their life, evidently there's been no expression of concern about spiritual things, but now they have leprosy, that horrible, terrible disease of leprosy. A disease that separates you from family and friends and they take you and put you over here in a leper colony somewhere. That horrible disease where You begin to lose feeling in your fingers and your toes and the members of your body eventually begin to literally fall off. And it's then, not until then, do they cry out unto the Lord. And the amazing thing is He healed them. But there's one... There's one that got more than just physical healing. He came back to thank the Lord, and the Lord said, and your faith has made you whole. He didn't say that to the rest of them. This fellow not only got his physical needs met, but his spiritual needs also. And he got those needs met by faith, Jesus said. He didn't say you've got to do ten somersaults in a row. He didn't say that you've got to do a hundred push-ups or you've got to climb a mountain or swim the widest sea or anything like that. He just said your faith has made you whole. If you're here and not saved, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't know that you'd go to heaven if you died. What you think might be the worst thing imaginable might be the very best thing that could happen in your life. If that's what it takes to bring you to God. And don't you dare for one second think that God won't let that happen to you. He loves you too much to just ignore you. He's not going to do that. He's going to deal with you. 
Somebody says, well, but if I become a Christian, think about all the things that, I, that I've got to give up. You better think about what you're going to lose by not becoming a Christian. Because you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. Pain can become your very best friend whenever you realize that that is the thing that brought you to Christ and that is the thing that caused you to devote your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve Him and fulfill your purpose in life. That's just one more piece of this puzzle of pain. But it goes to show you how that pain's not our enemy. It's a tool that God uses to accomplish His purpose in this world. And He uses it in some way at some time on every one of us. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Here we are at the threshold of the Christmas season, you know, and we're going to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to remember why He came into this world. He was born to die. Amen. And He died for you. And He's willing to save you if you, by faith, will receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that this morning while we stand together? Our Father, forgive us of the times that we murmur and complain because of the pain that we suffer, because of the things that we don't understand. Whenever it seems like our little part of the world is just whirling madly out of control and we don't like it. We don't understand why. We don't see how anything good can come of it. But Lord, I pray that you'll not only forgive us, but Lord, that you'll increase our faith and help us to learn to trust You during those trying times of life, that we'll realize that whatever experience we go through, it's the result of Your divine wisdom and Your great love, Your deep concern, not only for us, but for those others that we come in contact with. So forgive us of our complaining, strengthen us where we'll be willing to accept whatever you allow into our lives. And not only that, but that we would rejoice in it as Paul did. To be glad that you care enough to not ignore us, but to even hurt us that you might actually help us. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Now, while we're standing, our heads are bowed and we sing this verse of invitation. If God's speaking to your heart about salvation or anything else, would you come?